You're now listening to Cinco Squad. All right, this past weekend, we saw an absolute shellacking about the 49ers. And George Kill wore a shirt that said, F-U-C-K Dallas. And I truly loved it during, during a touchdown celebration. But I absolutely loved it because when he got on the Pat McAfee show, he goes, I don't know how I got there. I just put on a shirt that they put in my locker. So I thought that was hilarious. But then Micah Parsons comes on and says, we make this personal. We take this personal. Look at Micah. I respect you as a player. I think you're a great player. You're a Hall of Famer. Um, I'd love to have you on the birds if you want to come to Philadelphia and get away from Dallas. Come on over. But come on, man. They've beaten you twice already. Twice. And not no, three times make that. They've beaten you three freaking times in the last two years. They beat you in the playoffs. They beat you in the playoffs again. And then they beat the crap out of you on Monday night. You can't come out and talk shit after three ass whoopings. So relax a little bit. And same with Dak and all the Cowboys press, like saying, oh, this is this is gonna be personal in the playoffs. Just wait until we see him again. Yeah, y'all might play him close next time in the playoffs. But Dallas, you have to get to the playoffs in order to play them. So finish out the rest of the season strong so you can't have that revenge. Because honestly, the way it's looking right now, y'all ain't going to even make the playoffs to play them again. So Michael Parsons, much respect to you, but play it on the field. Don't play it on the microphone. Yeah, buddy, we're back here for another week, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. This is Cinco Squad. My name is Jonathan Sawyer. With me are my bros, Mike DeSanto, Trey Day, and Grandpa Jay. Fellas, week five of the NFL, week six of the college football is in. It's been madness all around. How is your fantasy teams doing? I want to jump right into that because mine doing shitty. Uh, yeah, oh, not fantastic. <laughs> well, actually, that's scratch that. Mine did great this week. The only problem was I faced the highest scorer in the league, and I was the second highest. I got Jamar. I got the Jamar Chase game, is what I got. Mike was like, "Yeah, I'm winning," and all of a sudden Jamar Chase decided to go out for 230. Jamar Chase said, "Four touchdowns." Yeah, exactly. If I told him, like when we were together, I said, "If you just had." If he had his normal day, where it was like 120 and two touchdowns, he would have won that. He would have won his match easily. But I would have won by like Jay, 20 points. <laughs> but Jamar Jay's like, nah, I'm gonna get. I'm open. I'm always open. So, Grandpa Jay, how you doing down there? Making Things all your are great right now. First place in our league. I'm first place as a defending champ in the other league. Life is good in fantasy football right now. Trade Correction: it. You are tied for first place with your defending champ of this league, which would be this. <laughs> by, by points four, I I would be ranked first if we scored if we if we were racking it that way. So, oh boy, four and one in both leagues. So right now the win percentage is eighty percent. We'll take it. Well, uh, Trey's, can... Trey's team has definitely jumped mine with a very questionable return for JJ. So we're not sure if JJ is going to be back in five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks. However, once I'm once I'm in a good position, <laughs> I got him in time for the playoffs, boys. So I ain't too I ain't too uh, worried right now about when he's gonna be back. Well, I can tell you right now, I am owning this sign right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm gonna. Re- I don't think I have to worry about sending this out this year. So I, Bro, think I'm gonna retain this, this week, man. I know. Oh man, 
I've played everybody that had a high score. Like, in same thing that Mike had, I've been playing everyone that's had a great game. You and Trey both had great games against me, and I'm like, God damn, I had a good week, too. Like, good stats, everything. But, oh, and uh, I got my new hat on yes. from golf.com make sure you guys go check it out it's a fresh hat it's got the lining right here nice tiger tiger hat make sure you go check it out we'll put that in our description single squad is a discount code for 15 percent off and then of course we got our jerseys on make sure you go to fansidea.com get yourself 10 percent off with single squad 10 that's single squad 10 but mike let's throw it to you with your yes. what's on your mind well uh, went a little out of the box this week as far as uh, kind of what it's about, but it, it goes with one of our topics for the evening. And I think, John, you'll appreciate this one uh, for who it's about. In 1972, a young Al Michaels was given lead play-by-play for the men's Olympic hockey gold medal game because no one else wanted to do it. Eight years later, he called the Miracle on Ice game as reportedly the only one at ABC who understood what icing and offsides were. he had So prior to that 72 game, he had never called a hockey game in his life, apparently. Wow. And he ended up being ABC's lead for the Olympics for, I think, four Olympics. It's not four surprising. Olympics. I mean, he's a great announcer. He's, I mean, he was great coming out of college back then. You know, I've heard stories about him. Mm-hmm. You know, coming out of college and just being naturally like able to just come up with stuff on it's kind of like you when you come up with stuff when you're doing broadcasting and doing your announcing, like he, he that's yeah. how he is. He just comes up with oh, it on, on the whim. So it's like yeah. that's that makes a great broadcaster if you can ad lib like that. I mean, Trey and I talk about it all the time. Like football announcers are kind of like one of the best ones because there's so much downtime that they have to fill so much time. Mm-hmm. And then like they have to fill time during the NFL draft, which is like each team takes like 20 minutes between each pick. Yeah. So that doesn't surprise me. That's your fact of the week is he, he didn't know he didn't know anything about hockey. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. It tur- well, it turns out that the only reason he started doing hockey was because no one else wanted to. And then the reason he kept doing hockey is because no one else knew about it. At the time, that that Olympics was – and not to just take over your, your what's on your mind, but that Olympics was pretty much won by the Russians before they even – stepped on the stepped in the US right. territory. So there was no chance, especially getting beat the USA team being beat like what 12 to 3 or something like that. So it's in, in Madison Square Garden. So mm-hmm. I think they were just like we just need someone to call this game and then he just called the best game probably in, right. in hockey history. So yeah. <laughs> in US history. So um that's that's interesting. Uh even though Mel Michaels was able to lock that hockey call down, you know what I want to hear locked in Jamie's locks of the week. I'll tell you what was pretty cool last night was listening to John Bucicross's call in the game last night. Mm -hmm. Twist, turn, spin, worm. I don't know what was going on in his head, but he's pretty fun to listen to from his side of calling hockey. Yes, yes, ladies and gentlemen. Got a little overambitious last week. I got trigger happy. I gave you five locks. (laughs) Didn't work out very well. First one hit for sure. I'm like, I'm on a roll this weekend. And then the Hurricanes (laughs) let me down, and it just kept going downhill from there. We are one and one in the NFL because the Baltimore Ravens forgot how to play football in the second half. I don't know what happened there. That game seemed like a lock. I was like, at least we're going to go three and two. We went two and three. Definitely not going with five locks of the week. We're going with two solid locks, and I'll give you a bonus to decide whether or not you're going to take me up on that bonus. So we all know that that 1 p.m. West Coast, East Coast thing is a trap game. 
Not too sure why the betters think right now that the Niners are less than a touchdown favorite against the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland after just watching them do what they did to that Dallas front seven. I know the Cleveland Browns front seven is pretty similar. Lots of speed, lots of size, very physical. They play a very just ground and pound kind of game. And, and that's really indicative of what I know Dallas was trying to do, but they couldn't do anything against the Niners. I just don't think Deshaun Watson is going to play the game. You got one of our favorite rookies that are going to be in there, a quarterback. I just don't think that this team has it in them to compete with San Francisco. I, I don't think the trap is going to be a thing this weekend. So give me San Francisco all day long at six and a half. That is the absolute lock of the week. I, I know people are saying it's a trap game, East Coast. San Francisco just came off a big win, blah, 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 blah. Hell no. The Niners are the best team hands down in football right now. They're yeah, going to win by at least, by at least 14. If not, if Cleveland come back and they have a little fight in them, they're winning by at least a touchdown. Jake, may I interject really quick? The yes. news out of Cleveland, me being on the ground in Cleveland here, is Deshaun may not play. P.J. Walker's actually been elevated to number two. So he's actually took Dorian Thompson Robinson's spot. They took him from the practice squad because it was so bad. So actually bringing in what was originally the third stringer. So that lock may actually be even more enticing. Exactamundo. Watch that number. Just keep ticking up here. Get it at six and a half while you can, ladies and gentlemen. Then let's go out to Alaska Airlines Field in Washington. We got the two offensive juggernauts going against each other. Number eight, Oregon Ducks against the number seven, Washington Huskies. You got Bo Nix. And now the new front runner for the Heisman, which I called earlier this year. I went out on a whim. Mr. Michael Penix. Right now, he's leapfrogged to the top. And boy, oh boy, am I excited to see this game. Because for some reason, these teams are averaging combined 97 and a half points. And they set the over at 67 and a half. It's like, are you kidding me? Are you just trying to give me dinner? Feed me all day, baby. I love that over. You better take that over in the Oregon uh, Ducks Washington Huskies game. I know we're thinking, well, look at what Oregon did to Colorado. Forget about that, guys. Washington's offense is off the chains. They're averaging almost way like, I mean, they're at close to 500 yards a game, while Bo Nix is averaging 80% of his passes are going for completions. None of these teams are going to slow each other down. Points, points, points all day long. So we got San Fran at six and a half. Take them all day. You got the over at 67 and a half with Oregon and Washington. And for my bonus, in honor of hockey season and, and John and, and, and Micah, the happiest people right here right now, the, the, the ice is hot. We're going to New Jersey, one of the biggest turnarounds in the NHL last season. They're hosting the Arizona Coyotes. And don't tell me that the Devils aren't going to come out and dominate that game. Take the Devils on Friday night. Get your weekend started off with a win. Go ahead and take the over in the Washington-Oregon game on Saturday, 67 and a half. And then sprinkle some crack on it. And put San Fran in there with a Sunday bet, six and a half all day long. That's your locks of the week, brought to you by none other than John. Take it away because I love your promos. Show me that shirt. Single squad, baby. That's oh, fans' right. ideas. Fans idea all day long. Single squad 10. Use that discount code. And I love your video, by the way. That was awesome. Looked like a real TikTok star there. I got my yeah. box. <laughs> I opened my box. I wonder what's inside. We got to see more of that. <laughs> all right guys so i'm keeping things right here in the state i live in in florida and we're talking about the double whammy in miami so earlier in the week or a week ago miami dolphins sign chase claypool and i'm thinking what is mike mcdaniel's thinking you have the fastest receiving core you have the fastest running back core 
the guy does not fit your culture he's not a hard worker he's not competing what the hell are you thinking are you and west walker just trying to revive a career and be saviors i don't know but who decides to top that over the weekend well it's miami hurricanes head coach Mario Cristobal, I know he's the talk of the week and everybody knows what I'm talking about here. It may be the biggest mistake in coaching history in football period. You got 33 seconds left. You're playing Georgia Tech. You're at home. You're up 20 to 17. It's third and 10 and you run the ball. And here's the quote by Mario Cristobal that has me fuming. We should have taken a timeout right there at the end. Really? I thought we could get the first down and we talked about having two hands on the ball, but that's not good enough. We just should have taken a knee. You know who should have had two hands on the ball? Your quarterback in the victory formation, taking a knee. That's who should have the two hands on the ball with 33 seconds left and Georgia Tech not having a timeout. I mean, are you kidding me? There's the part that blows my mind too. He hasn't called a victory formation once this year. Not even once. So it's not like the guy even has it in his playbook. I guess he doesn't like it. I don't know why he doesn't want to do it. But you know who does call victory formations? Coaches that have more wins than losses. So here's what I'm thinking. This better not happen again. Because if I'm a Miami fan, I'm putting some Yolanda Adams on. Put that victory song in the locker room and pray over it. Because Mario better not make this mistake twice. Because I think if any other coach did this, they would have been on the hot seat and then be ready to get fired. But somehow, the guy was a legend down in Miami. They're going to give him immunity here. I don't know why they should. But they love him down there, and I guess they realize at some point in his career, he's going to realize victory formation means go home with a victory. Well, that's Jamie's Locks of the Week. Everyone lock it down here. Well, we're going to go into something for the NFL. It's five weeks in. We're looking at all the teams like, okay, who, who's got it, who doesn't, right? So we are going to go around here, around the horn, and talk about our best or worst of the NFL week up to week five. I think there's a lot out there we can talk about. So I'm going to throw it down, or I'm going to throw it down to Mikey Mike to see what his best or worst is. Hmm. Okay, so Mikey Mike went with worst this week, and it is not on the field but above the field in the Death Star of football. My proclamation today is that Jerry Jones is the worst owner in the NFL. I, I, I don't agree with the fact that he's a worst owner. I'd agree with the, if he's the worst GM, but owner-wise, I mean, he did put a – he does, I mean, he doesn't know how to market a team and, and get them on prime time. And, I mean, granted, the team's not good, but if you look at the marketing standpoint of the team, I mean, they're on it. They're on TV. They're on primetime games most of the time, all the time. The stadium is massive. It's a big attraction. Like, they're always – something about the Cowboys being talked about. So – as an owner, I kind of disagree with that because he has put them at a pedestal that, you know, ultimately <laughs> everything's bigger in Texas. So he's put that big Texas star everywhere. So I kind of disagree with that. Mike, why do you think he's the worst owner? Uh, because the team is so bad. And as an owner, you need to put your, your team – I understand the marketing, and that's true in building the great big stadium. That's true. But as an owner, you also need to allow people to run your football team correctly. And he made himself GM. So he doesn't, he, it's his refusal to do anything that isn't exactly the status quo that he's always been. He doesn't make it, he doesn't make adjustments. And I don't like the idea of him also being the GM. In the sense that, yes, he's great at marketing, but 
He's not letting a more football-centered mind help build the team and run the front office the way it needs to be. Not to mention, his hiring of coaches has been very suspect over the course of his tenure after Jimmy Johnson. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can see it on the field right now, how much crap is given to Mike McCarthy right now over his ability to call plays and be a viable head coach. Wade Phillips is one of the prime examples of good coordinator, bad coach, bad head coach. Jason Garrett, I can tell you from firsthand experience, is not as good of a football mind as he as Jerry Jones wanted you to believe. He's a good old boy. He goes with the Dallas Cowboys, that the guys that are his friends and you know are Cowboys lifers, and that just doesn't work. So that's why I think, as an owner from a football perspective, he's bad. Nope, Jimmy has the worst owner in the league. That would be the Cleveland Browns owner. That is the worst owner in the league. I mean, they've already had an 0-16 season under his reign. Uh, the Hugh Jackson experiment failed. The experiment with whatever coach always seems to fail. Whatever player they go touch, it goes to shit. So it's definitely him. I mean, look at the Deshaun Watson thing. Nobody, you're going out there giving this man a 100% guaranteed contract? The man's out here just getting fresh off the massage table with 20 pending cases, and that's the guys you go out there and you decide you're going to put your franchise behind? That's a terrible ownership move. Whether it's been that, I mean, everything about it. I mean, it took the guy, I mean, he's on the team forever. They finally just got a damn Jim Brown statue out there. No, it's Jimmy Haslam. It's not even close. It's Jimmy Haslam. Because the thing about it is, at least at some point in life, you could say Jerry has success. Jerry's at least got the team to the playoffs. Their reign was, oh, yeah, we beat Big Ben this one time in the playoffs during the COVID year when Big Ben couldn't throw past six yards. And that is the only claim to <laughs> that's the only claim to fame there. So, no, 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 it is definitely Jimmy Haslam. I mean, look at those atrocious uniforms he picked. They have these ugly and brown and orange uniforms. It's most con- it's most contradicting team in the world. Leader. Yeah. Man, they have an elf There's... in the middle of the field. I mean, everything about his ownership rate has been terrible. Thank God sense. for thank God for him, I guess, that he now gets to take that title because it was clearly Dan Snyder. So yeah, we had at least two words now that Dan Snyder's gone. Jimmy Haslam has taken that reign as the worst owner. Jay, who do you guys the worst owner? Uh, I I I I don't really focus on who the worst owner is. I'll just focus on what Mikey's brought up right here. Actually, the Barry Switzer hire was a good hire after Jimmy Sauté, after Barry is where they really struggle. I don't see why the Mike McCarthy hire was bad because he tried to find a guy who knows how to win in the NFC. So I think he was the best available at the time. He's just desperate to try and get somebody who can get them over the hump, and they can't. They've been stuck for, what, 27 years, almost 30 years going on now, and that almost seems like a curse. So I'll say he's the most cursed owner in the NFL based on the fact that you figure the man has everything everything laid out in front of him to try to get it right but like al davis like he was with the raiders they just can't keep their nose out of affairs like you need to step back and do ownership like yeah. step back and let all everybody else do the dirty work i mean here's why i give the guy credit and i kind of say he's the he's the worst the, the probably one of the classiest moves he's made is allowing the scout chris vaughn to call his son deuce vaughn and saying we're going to draft him that to me was as classy as it gets that was a very touching moment i give him a lot of credit for that because i feel he knew that Let's do something that is pretty special for this individual who's done a lot for our franchise. So I got to knock him in terms of doing things that he figure outside of the box as well that show a lot of class and character. But he's also shown to be very classless at times too, putting his own people under the bus without any hesitation. And then going on shows and proclaiming himself to be the, you know, just the god of football in Texas period when, yeah, you had your glory days and now you don't have them anymore. So I don't see him as the worst owner in football. I mean, I do have to go with Trey Donair has been suffering and saying that Cleveland is one of the worst franchises in sports period. 
So you kind of have to go that way when you're thinking worst owner. You could have sent it with Jacksonville's owner for a long time, but he's done really well and rebuilt the team after literally shitting it away after almost making a Super Bowl run. So uh, you know, I, I have to disagree with that. I don't think he's the worst owner in football. I do think he's the most jinxed owner in sports. Actually, Adam Khan is the second worst owner up there in Jacksonville. That was my other person I debated. Yeah. That because <laughs> that franchise has been shit for the most part. I mean, now they maybe have hit on Trevor Lawrence team. But the reason I come at he's, him crazy he's lucky. Is he's lucky. He's lucky. He's, he's lucky. Exactly. Yeah. So he's he's lucky, lucky all these pieces just fell into his They also play in a shitty conference, too. They play in a shitty con- or city division. division uh, he got lucky to an extent. And then the other thing where I think he's a shitty owner, where I think he's going to elevate himself soon, is he is so busy trying to get himself to London. I think that's going to be one of the worst mistakes they'll make. <laughs> because I look at it like this. If you go to London, you think these people are going to move their family over there Put all these people to say, all right, now you're going to London. Yeah, you'll get a couple players to get drafted, but as soon as they're free agent, I don't want to live in London. It's one thing when you put a team in Canada and I can at least drive back to America. No offense to London, but it is hard to go uproot your whole family. Think about, like, your quarterback who's like, I don't got to stay here. No, I'm going back to the States. Think about your coaches. Now they got to get uprooted. Think about your scouts. Your scouts live in London. Well, they have to do that to fly back to America to go scout pro players and things such as that. There's nothing good coming from this London move the inevitably is trying to do. Last week, he sit here, he puts the team in London two weeks in a row. They had the option to take a bye week, and what does he do? No, I don't want the bye week. I don't even think he even thinks about this stuff because he sees all the money of London so much that you, you think he should have took the bye week or should have took the bye week? No, actually, I'll give you this, right? But but traveling from Jacksonville to Seattle, if you're going to go scout on the West Coast or Cali, Unless you have a direct flight, that's you know five six hours of flying time. You have delays. That's going on. You can get direct London, uh, direct flight straight to London, right? So yeah. like, travel time if you're scouting West Coast is not different. And and I do feel like we're about to see a revolution in air travel very soon. I mean, the Concord used to be half the amount of time, so you could fly from New York to London in four hours. There may be something that comes back like that where you have a super jet or something that gets you there faster. But I'm with you though. It's like uprooting people to say. Now you have to get used to life in Europe, and you don't really yeah, get that's to exactly what, life that's that you exactly want. Yeah. Right? That's the tough part. Yeah, you're, yeah you're, going to, right. you're going to a whole new culture where, yeah. you know, and I don't know the facts or anything, but you know, I heard, you know, I've heard like a lot of things where like London doesn't really like, like they're the proper English and we're like the slang English and uh, of this of the language. So it's like, well, they used you know, to. but it, when you look at it, you're basically going to a whole new culture. If I so to your point, I can drive from Seattle to like Jacksonville, like it was a long ass drive, but I can drive there. I can't drive from London to Jacksonville. I have to take a boat or something like that, underwater like, car. But like, I'm not worried about the all air travel shit because air tra- they, these guys are flying first class. All the there's time. no, there, there's no, there's yeah, no I'm rest. not worried about the air. There's travel. no, there's no rest stops. There's no like, okay, I'm, I have a, I have a four hour layover in Atlanta. Like, no, it's they're going right from one place to another. Like, so it's. I don't I, – I just would hate to have an t- organization go over there because no other team or professional sport is doing that in America. Now, if, like, let's just say baseball did it and basketball did it and stuff, I'm like, okay, now I see the push. But why not make a team in Canada? They already got football fields and everything up there. So, Canada, yeah. Go to Mexico. Go, go to Mexico. Go to, you know, go to places that are, like, right nearby. They're not all across the, across the world. So, but no, I'm like, I'm sorry, I gotta disagree. I don't think Jerry Jones is the worst owner. I think he's the worst GM. And if you want to say he's the worst owner because he doesn't hire a GM, okay. But I mean, you know, damn, you're gonna make me fucking defend the goddamn Cowboys. God fucking damn. You know, you love Jerry. Don't play that shit. Fucking hate. But you know, like they have been, they have won the NFC East. They have been there, but they just don't perform in the playoffs. So, I mean, that's just it. I mean, 
I don't see him being a worse owner. Like I, I was going to say, the Browns owner seems like a, a bad owner, or the or the ex Commanders owner. So yeah. Um, well, the name the other name you you guys didn't mention that always gets brought up as a bad owner is Dean Spanos with the Chargers. Yeah. Apparently, he's just a terrible one. Like, and then a Chargers fan could tell more about it. I'm not exactly sure. 100. percent Chargers don't have fans. So I don't know. They don't have fans. <laughs> I know one. I know one. That says he's a Chargers fan. All right, who do you want to go he next? Must have ownership stake. Um, uh, let's go, John. We'll go to you. All right. So I had about five of these. I was just like writing them down, like mm-hmm. like rapid. I was like, oh wait, I gotta have one. So, um, the Houston Texans are the best team in the AFC North. They're not or uh, no, AFC North. <laughs> the AFC South. Sorry, I'm sorry. My bad. <laughs> I was looking at the North when I was saying that AFC South. And my, the, my, my, and I think that they're the best team in the AFC South, and they will make the playoffs, either as a wild card or whatnot. But they will make the playoffs um, as a, one of the most underrated teams this year to make the playoffs. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, why do you feel it? Yeah. Well, the reason why is just the way the what I talked about them in the beginning of the season is. The camaraderie with them, the the chemistry that C.J. Stroud's getting with his receiver, his young receiving core early, the defense with Will Anderson there, you know, it's just been clicking. And that defense was not bad last year. And now you got D'Amico Ryan there as the head coach. He was a great defensive coach at San Fran. He's got them boys humming right now. He's playing teams tough. Um, it just seems like they're playing very loose, very, you know, very, I guess, easy football in a sense. Where you're not, you don't have really high expectations for the year, but you're just sitting there, you're just having fun, you're building chemistry. CJ Stroud is looking like he's going to win Rookie of the Year, um, you know, as as a quarterback there. So he just the the Texans just seem like they're humming on all cylinders. Jacksonville has taken a huge step back from last year, in my opinion. Um, even though they beat the Bills, I think the Bills are overrated team in the NFL. Um, and then the Colts are losing AR. I mean, already. I mean. I, I hate to see it with that kid, man. It man, sucks. Man. They they hurt him in, in the first game of the year by running him way too much. Um, and then I forget the uh, the Tennessee Titans are just kind of like, eh, what, yeah. what? Are you going to take that next step? or Are you not? Like that's what I don't get with the Titans. Yeah. Like they have some good game, some good halves, and then the next half they come out and they're like, what happened to the team that we just saw? So I see the Texans, if not winning that division. Uh, being one of the best underrated teams this year, Trey. I mean, it, you, you kind of had like three statements there. So, which to address with one? One of the best underrated teams, yes. Where they made the playoffs, possibly the best team in the division is the Jaguars. It's not them; it still is the Jaguars right now. I just think they are a year ahead just because of a little bit less youth. So, I do expect them to still kind of turn this around and keep going. And it's not that I think the Texans on the right path. But, you know, I know I got done just knocking, uh, what's his name, Omar Khan over there, whatever, or whatever the hell the guy's name is. Shot Khan. Or Shot Khan, whatever. Oh, yeah, Omar Khan's still the GM. Um, yeah, so I know <laughs> I'm over here knocking um, him, and I am. But I just ultimately think that once the season starts to get tight, the Jaguars at least have just went to the playoffs. So I think they mm-hmm. have a little bit better pedigree down the stretch mm-hmm. than the Texans because there are going to be some tight games I expect late in the year where I just kind of felt the Jaguars have kind of already maybe got those bumps out where maybe that's the Texans next year. So I can see them possibly make the playoffs, but I think the Jaguars are still 
the best team in the division, especially when I look at like game breakers and things such as that. I mean, Nico Collins has been strong. Uh, so is uh, Pierce is starting to kind of come on. But when I look over there and I'm like, okay, I got ETN, he's a game breaker. I look at Calvin Ridley, I look at Ingram, and I say, all right, when it all comes down to it, I think they got more game breakers or shit hits the fan than the Texans. I think it's going to become a lot more of, and as good as CJ's been, all right, CJ, you have to go finish this. I don't think Trevor Lawrence has to be as great as CJ Stroud because CJ Stroud has less to work with than Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. But I mean, shout out to the Texans because they are coming on. I just think next year is more of their all right, now y'all take the leap to go into division. Uh, what'd you say, Mike, about this? Yeah, so I'm in, I'm pretty much in agreement with you. I think the Texans, I would say the Texans have been so far this year, the best team in that division. But I think in the end, the Jaguars are the better team in this division, simply because of, like you said, Trey, where the Jaguars are just a little more battle-tested than this Texans team is. I think the Texans have the best potential of any of the four teams in the division as far as their future and what they're going to be able to accomplish in the next few years. But I think they'll end up being one of those teams, the young one of those young teams we see that starts off really hot, but by late in the year, they start tailing off a little bit. They start kind of showing their their rookie sides a little bit more enough that the a team like the Jaguars will kind of make the jump over them and be by the end of the year uh, a better team than them. But I don't doubt, like we said with the Colts and Texans, I don't doubt that the Texans can finish second in that division. Honestly. Yeah, what do you think? Um, I mean, looking at the schedule, I mean, it's kind of favorable for them to sort of finagle their way into a winning record halfway through the season. They host the Saints and they have a bye. And they're at Carolina. Then they host the Bucks. They're at Cincinnati. At, um, host Arizona host the Jags, host the Broncos. So lots of home games there. And then you kind of end with the Jets, Titans, Browns, and Titans. And then, you know, your season ends at uh, Indy. So the schedule favors them where we know and we've seen that people in this division can win eight games or, you know, be under 500 and still make the playoffs. It kind of seems like it might be that kind of year because nobody's really stepping up in that division. I do love the young core. I don't think this is the year they make that playoff push because I do feel the Jags get their shit together. And they'll probably end up being a 10-win team minimum. I don't think that even though the schedule looks like they can get to 10 wins, I just feel like you just said that that age will start to show itself at some point. Teams who are playing bad will start getting their, you know, getting their act together. By the end of the season, they'll tighten up. The Titans normally do that. The Bengals will do that. So I think the Browns may at that point have a chance to beat them, given the fact that the Browns are probably going to hopefully for their sake have their number one quarterback show that he's worth half of what they've paid him, even a quarter of what they've paid him. So I love what I'm seeing though. CJ Stroud, ROI by far at this point, Bijan probably second at this point. And it looks as though Nick Collins and him have a great rapport and their chemistry is on point right now. And that's what you love seeing for a rookie quarterback is he's dialing in with the receiver that can help bail him out, but he's playing smart. He hasn't turned the ball over that much. He's giving his team's chances to win. Shocked that they beat down on the Steelers and then turn around and make the Atlanta Falcons look like a legit team the week after. So because of that Jekyll and Hyde thing right now, I just don't see them as a legit playoff team. Or a CJ, CJ just looks like he's playing like he did in the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. He seems playing. like he's, he's playing with stress off his shoulders. He's just, yeah, he's having fun with the game He's and he's learning. He still has that. that When I watch a couple of their games, he still has that thing where he holds onto the ball just a little too much. And, and takes some sacks, but I think that comes with growth. I just see them making the playoffs. Maybe not win that division, but I see them making the playoffs. And then mm. 
once you get in the playoffs, I mean, we're seeing the wild card right now for baseball or the NLDS, ALDS. Like, anything can happen, you know. So, I just think the AFC is too competitive this year, though. Really? Yeah, the AFC yeah. is very competitive. Yeah. The mm. NFC is not. The AFC is. Yeah. Yeah, it's still out there. You still got the Bills, you still got the Dolphins. The AFC North's all basically tied right now for the most almost damn near tied. You still got a lot to try to, you know, and that's not even including going out, you know, west where you got Kansas City mm-hmm. out there, of course, and then you know the Chargers, whatever the fuck they are. So <laughs> like it, it yeah, I think it's a lot in the AFC. So I, I the AFC is the stronger division right now. Mm-hmm. All right, Jay. Let's know what's your best or worst. Uh, I'm definitely going worse here, and you know I'm going straight up to Boston, up there with that former team everybody used to hate. At this point, you're saying like you compete with the Dolphins, you compete with the Eagles, and then you you kind of like barely scrape by the Jets, and then you get shellacked by the Cowboys, and then shellacked again by the Aints. Excuse me, the Cowgirls and the New Orleans Aints. And you're thinking to yourself like, this is a Bill Belichick team who just respectively got beat by 35 and 34 points. So, like, really what I'm throwing into here is a two-tiered question. Is Mac Jones the worst quarterback in football right now? And are the Pats officially in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes as the worst team in the NFL? Uh, hmm. Who do you want to go first? You. Uh, I mean, Mac Jones one of the worst. Yeah. Is he the worst? No, because, I mean, I got – I mean, Danny Dimes is, like, right there with him. He's having, he's having similar years. Very similar years this year. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of like teared up there, that way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Mac Jones, I'd never – I always thought was like A.J. McCarron at Alabama. I, I thought he was good, but it, it, for college, right, for that system and, Bell, and uh, savings. But going to the pros, I just didn't see that jump like I did for, like, Bryce Young or any of the other – Jalen Hurts, Tua, any of those guys, I didn't see that jump. And – he went to a kind of a really good system in an opportunity because it's basically similar systems. He just can't get the job done. He just holds on to the ball a little bit too long. Um, he's not a scrambling quarterback. He's not fast. And just it's tough. Worst quarterback right now. So what makes Danny? What makes him and Danny Dobbs so close to you? Danny, I mean, Danny just it's similar similar traits. I mean, they hold on to the ball too long, not getting not hitting right receivers, not not. I, opting to you know um check check at the line he's not he's not reading defenses well um which i mean as a starting quarterback you need to be able to read a defense and check to an audible and check to different things even as a, i mean i would say a rookie but danny's been in the league for seven years now you need to be able to do this in year seven or year five or whatever whatever it was i mean even so he's still been in the league for five or six years yeah. you need to be able to read a defense and if you need to check out of a play because you see something that's what you're supposed to do and that's what him and Mac Jones have similar ideas. They don't, they're not checking to anything, and they're not reading the defense. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand about these quarterbacks is that you can go out there and say, hey, we're checking to another play. Or you have that chemistry with your receiver. Like Jalen Hurts, with, and I'm not saying just because my team, I see him in, in, in the replays when he's looking over at AJ. When they, when he sees a, uh, in the Rams game, when he saw a blitz coming in, he looked over at AJ, and they did like some sort of signal to each other. And AJ, they switched to play. And AJ ran his five-yard slant and got the first down. That happens with a lot of these teams, like uh, Brock Purdy with uh, Debo Samuel or or George Kittle or, or whatnot. So I see these quarterbacks that are not reading the defenses are hindering themselves so much. And I feel like a lot of these coaches are letting them slide and letting them go by. And it's like, 
you guys got to bring someone in that can read a defense and get your team to the next level. Now, there's a lot that's wrong with the Giants, and I'm not just all going to put it on Danny, but that's what I see out of that. Greg? No, I don't need to go. Mike needs to go. I need to hear your opinion. Mike, is Danny Dimes worse than Mac Jones? No, no. He is not. Not even even close. Not even close. Explain that. Not even close. Well, first of all, first of all, Danny does read a defense better than it looks like. It's just the play gets blown up immediately because the offensive line is ass. But isn't that reading and checking to another play? Not if he has two seconds to get. Not if he has half a second to respond. But I'm saying he he doesn't check to another play. If he's reading the defense so well, how is he supposed to? How is he supposed to? You're supposed to no. Well, that's the thing. It doesn't. What I'm saying is survey the field. Yeah, what, but what I'm saying is is that even at the line, it doesn't matter what play he checks into. He has no time. Now, he's, I'm not going to say he hasn't made a million mistakes because he has made a million mistakes, and you've heard me rant about it. I'm very frustrated with it. But I don't think it's fair to compare Daniel Jones to Mac Jones. Daniel Jones, who's actually had success in this league, both running and passing. One year? Two you years. You can say Mac? Two years. Yeah, he's been last the last year few years. Last, last year was the only year. In this, in what do last year that? was the only year? The only year we saw true Danny Dimes come out of – we were like, finally he came out after four years being in the league. We were all saying that's that. Y'all weren't paying, that's because y'all weren't paying attention. Okay, okay. But, okay, fine, one year. How many good years has Mac Jones had? Half a season. How many, how many years has he had the least interceptions in the entire NFL amongst starting quarterbacks like Daniel Jones had last year? How many okay, times I has mean, Mac Jones ran his team into a win? When when his all all year last year, while Saquon okay. Barkley was all sitting right. his ass on the bench hurt. Anyway, oh, that wasn't the question. Okay, now Saquon's the problem. Okay, I'm not saying Saquon's the problem. I'm saying Saquon okay. wasn't on the field. I can't do anything about the fact Saquon wasn't. Saquon's on the field. Godzilla quads are the problem. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, he's carrying too much weight on those tiny baby ankles. But anyway, the question, the initial question was about Mac Jones. And yes. uh, I don't know if he's the worst quarterback in the league, but he's in the conversation. I will admit that I, coming out of the draft, said Mac Jones was a perfect puzzle piece for yeah. that Patriots team because of the similarities between like, so, how Alabama. Huh? Oh, okay. I thought you were about to say something. I thought you were about to say something. <laughs> about to no, 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 no. Not that. Similar to Not what? Not that. Not oh, that. Wait, similar. What? Alabama similar system. to New England. Similar system. Oh, no, okay. hell no. Not, <laughs> I just to make sure not that. Okay. I, okay. I'm. Sometimes I have crazy takes, yes, but I'm okay. not insane. Making sure. <laughs> yes. Um, but, yeah, it's just he just you mean, hasn't. You weren't insane when you said Danny Dimes for MVP last year? You sure you weren't slightly insane at that point? I said slightly. I wasn't. Not, I said be completely. I'm not completely. I'm not completely. Um, and did I say that? I don't remember what I said? Um, but yeah, Mac Jones. Uh, it's for the system, like you said. He for the system. He's he should have worked as far as what they were looking for in a quarterback. It's just Jones has never made that next step. He's never adjusted. He's never progressed. He just. I get Mac Jones is a prime example for me of someone who just is what he is. There's no, there's no getting worse than what he is, but there's no getting better. And unfortunately where he's at is not that good. And I don't think the Patriots are the worst team in the league, but I think their initial successes were flashing flashes in the pan 
of this, what this season is going to be for them, especially with the Bills and Dolphins in that division. Okay, Trey, now you can go. No, I wasn't even going to cover Danny Dimes. This is, I mean, Mac Jones is the worst quarterback in football. Like, this starts right now. This isn't even – I don't even know what we're talking about here. Matt Jones has never been a first-round draft pick. He was a first-round draft pick because Belichick wanted to force the issue. That is why Belichick has progressively became one of the worst GMs in football because he makes decisions like that. Matt Jones, look, okay, I mean, sure. I can fucking throw to Jalen Waddle and fucking Devontae Smith for Najee Harris in the backfield, the best line in college football and the best – you know, fucking college football coach all the time. Mac Jones being garbage. He hot garbage. Like, that's just – let's not play that game here. Mac Jones is not good. Bill Belichick told you that when they went to Buffalo last year and let the man throw the ball three times. This ain't 1940. Who let the quarterback throw three times? I don't give a damn how much to win out there with him. I seen him when he had Brady out here in snowstorms. I know it's Brady. He let Brady go throw 50 times. You know why? Because that's a good quarterback. When he saw Mac Jones, he knew he was playing handicap. He played with one arm behind his back. Mac Jones is garbage. And Belichick, yeah, to answer Jay's other question, are they playing for Kettle Williams? Yeah. Why do you think Mac Jones is starting? If I wanted to win, I wouldn't put Mac Jones on the field. That is clearly I'm trying to take move. That is a losing move. Belichick and it's ironic how it's the week after, after – uh... Caleb puts out his list of teams um, and Patriots and the Giants were on, ironically on that list mm-hmm. of teams to go to. Y'all won't draft Caleb. I know. <laughs> well, yeah, they won't be low enough to. <laughs> the Patriots um, will be in position too. Yeah, they will be. Making they, sure of that. Yeah, I mean, Mac Jones, I mean, I never saw it, like I said, coming out of college. Good college quarterback because you had all the talent around. Won a, won a couple nat- natties. Cool. But I don't think he's a – He's a backup, and let's just say this: Matt Barkley. I can't. Matt, Matt Barkley's a better, better quarterback than, than Mac mm-hmm. Jones. <laughs> can you? And he was on the Eagles. Can you confidently say that he's a? I, I don't even know if he's a backup for half of the teams in the league. That's, no, I, I don't know. I mean, he's probably third. Is strength. he that much? Okay, practice, so that much practice better, squad, maybe. Is he that much better than Sam Darnold? I don't know if he is. Is he better no. than Gardner Oh God, no. Gardner Minshew. Oh, I love, I love Gardner. Come on, that's my boy. Nope. No, that's what I'm saying. He's not better than I'm saying. I'm so mad. I'm so mad. Bro, I would take Ryan Fitzmagic right now to come out of retirement yeah, and trust him. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Zach Wilson at this point is better than he was a And the problem team. is, it's exactly, exactly what we said before. It's like what you made a good statement. He was taken in the first round. You're going to get criticized. Like you're, if you were taking that undrafted, okay, we'll, we'll give you a little bit of slack because you weren't drafted. We didn't waste a pick on you, but you were picking in the first round. So you're going to get the shit that you're going to. Just right. like I give this shit to Daniel Daniel Jones, that I give to him after five after five years of being in the league, you should not be at two touchdowns and six interceptions with a thirty four QBR, thirty nine QBR. I mean, he only had fourteen minutes. touchdowns passing last year. He's yeah, exactly. He's he had nine running us. He? he had his best year, his first year in the league, at twenty four touchdowns and twelve interceptions, mm-hmm. and then he digressed significantly at 11, 11 touchdowns, ten interceptions. 10 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and then 15 last year and five because they pretty much ran the ball most of the time. Mm-hmm. So that's where I say I give a little bit more critical because if you're going to take me in the first round, I expect to see first round type play. So I'm going to criticize you like a motherfucker, uh, and that's just it. You 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 want to be a first round pick? That's what you that's what you get if you don't perform. So, all right, Trey, let's go to you for your best or worst. Did we go to you yet? Nope. Nope. Go for it. Yep. Some people are gonna disagree with this, but if you ain't, if you disagree with this, you just ain't watching football. The best defensive player in football right now is T.J. Watt. I don't give a damn what anybody got to say about Michael Parsons. 
I seen that man disappear last week. Is that what did he play last week or was he hurt? Serious Who? question. Michael Parsons, did he play last week? Yeah, he played. I assume so. You sure about I, that? I, I'm pretty I sure. Mean, <laughs> okay. I didn't see I mean, that. I, I mean, he was seven touch seven touchdowns didn't really <laughs> I, I didn't see that man out there. Now I'm mean, gonna say the Steelers got their ass kicked too when the Steelers played against the 49ers. But you know what also did happen? TJ Watt still had three sacks that game. He made an impact. He can't help with the rest of the team wasn't on point like that. TJ Watt has a lot more pressure than most of the people because he has one of the most incompetent offenses in football right now. He's in a position where he cannot make a mistake. One mistake by him may cost the team the game. That's why he had to play the Ravens game the way they did is because he has literally one of the three worst offenses in football right now. So T.J. Watt is a different amount of type of pressure when he goes out there. He leads the league in sacks right now with eight sacks. He has two forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries. Half the reason the Steelers ever scored is because of plays T.J. Watt made to put them in position to score. How many drives have ended because T.J. Watt makes a play? So, yeah, you know, respect to Michael Parsons. I know everybody want to hand in the crown. The crown ain't yours yet. Miles Garrett, yeah, that shit all cool over there. But he ain't doing what T.J.'s doing. He's not all over the field. All he's doing is pass rushing up the field. T.J. will drop back in coverage and do his thing back there. Mm -hmm. Fred Warner, he's coming on. I give Fred his credit. But at the same time, look what else is around Fred. They also play with the lead. It's a different thing when you got to play with the lead because now you can pin your ears back if you're Joey Bo or, or Nick Bolson and just say, I'm just running up field. It's a little easier to play when you're playing with the lead and you just pass rushing up the field than it is when you're playing from behind or you're playing a tight game and you know, I cannot make this mistake. If my read is wrong, this game is over. Nobody else is in position in the way that T.J. Watt is currently in that position. Look at the Steelers last year. When T.J. Watt went out, they looked like shit. T.J. Watt sold back up. The team damn near made the playoffs. So I don't give a damn what anybody's talking about. T.J. Watt is still the best defensive player in the league. John, so you wanna... who you got? So, so, I mean, I can't disagree with you. I've been saying this for four or five years, that the Steelers need to trade this motherfucker so he can be on a championship-winning team. And that's no offense to you, Trey. It's the truth. Uh, he's wasting good years just like his brother did in Houston in Pittsburgh unless Pittsburgh gets their act together. And ultimately, this dude is a monster. He's, I don't know what he's doing. His skill set, and they were breaking it down. Like, JJ was breaking it down, watching on YouTube. And it, the way he can just get by a tackle and a guard when they're, when they're doubling him is unbelievable. It's just like, how the hell is he sneaking past us? And he's getting to the quarterback in, like, two seconds. And it's just unbelievable to watch this kid, watch this kid go. And, you know, he should have defensive player of the year every single year he's in the league. Michael Parsons, I give him credit. He's a great linebacker. But, mm. you know, and I guess that's where a lot of people are probably going to be like, well, he doesn't get he doesn't get, get a lot of blitz packages and stuff. You can still reef, reef havoc on the defense and on the offense without going in sacking the quarterback. You can tip passes. You can block passes. You can intercept passes. Um, but, yeah, T.J. Watt, hands, head and shoulders above the next person. Um, in the defensive player of the year. I mean, Jalen Carter will be up there eventually, but, you know, I'll, we'll let T.J. Watt have it for now. Mike? Yeah, no. Head for he's, the best, he's the best young guy on the defense side of the ball this year. Jaylen okay, that's, that's that's fine. That's beside the point. Um, no, it's, it's 100% it's T.J. Watt. Like, you put him anywhere on the field, ask him to do anything, he can do it with the best of them of anybody in the league. Um, it's, I agree. It's insane how he can get doubled and just all of a sudden he's in the backfield and there's really nothing anyone can do about it. Uh, he's got every move in the book. He's got some moves that, I, you know, guys, we haven't seen guys do ways to get by. And it's just, it's incredible to watch him play. And it's incredible to watch 
how much he loses despite the fact that he essentially puts the team on his back and gives them every opportunity to win. Sorry, Trey. But no, no, it's a trip. Let me call him up. Fire I don't think in. I don't think he'll be taking any off-season trips to the country of up north. And none of us uh, are. So well, Canada, no offense to the country. Um yeah, so no, I completely agree. TJ Watt is head and shoulders above everybody else. Jamie. He's not head and shoulders above everybody else. He's an incredible player. I think sometimes we have to give Jack his jacket and say, okay, this player has proven that he is the best player in the league over a course of a year. And I was Nick Bosa by far last year. Yes, great team, different scenario. I agree with you, Trey. Right? The the most underrated defensive player right now in football is Max Crosby. That guy's a freaking animal. That guy is doing it on his own. Like he's single-handedly changing games on his own because the Raiders right now have no business winning any games right now. That franchise is still a mess. They have a great running back. Quarterback's still a huge mystery. He's keeping them in the game and telling the offense, please score three here. Like, do something to help the defense. Give us – don't do, don't go three and out again. So he's begging them and doing everything he can. Um, and, and where I might agree with you is I saw an interview with Miles Garrett two weeks ago, and they asked him about who he admires in the league. And the first place he went was T.J. Watt, and he said exactly what you said. I'm not sure how he does certain things. He does his own – like, I, he's I even try and do certain things and see how he gets around players it's unbelievable to see the way the guy moves of course as as the player that wants to be the best i'm not going to go ahead and say he's better than me or he's the best player in the league but if there's one player i'm looking at because i play in twice here and i'm saying how the hell is this guy doing what he's doing he has the utmost respect for tj watt so i think tj watt from this season on is going to be the name everybody mentions as the benchmark when it comes to defensive players I still think that Bosa and Miles Garrett are right there at the top with him. So it's me a 1A, 1B, 1C scenario. So I don't think he's outright the best, but he's positioning himself to be the best defensive player in football this season. And then, like John just said, it's going to be something where over the next two or three years, he probably wins it two out of the next three years and win defensive player of the year. Yeah, Max Crosby is unbelievable, dude. Like, I watched him. I watched him on Monday night. I mean, he's yeah. been unbelievable, right? It's not like he's just got in the league, but no. watched him on Monday night. And yeah, his stats don't show it, but he is re- he's like he's in the backfield. He, he's okay. in the backfield. He's making mm-hmm. quarterbacks scramble. And like a lot of times, I, I think they were mic'd up and they're like, I feel bad for you, man. He's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just doing my job. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, he just wants to like win. And that's that's what you want on the defensive side of the ball is you Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to get your offensive ball back as quick as possible. Unfortunately for Pittsburgh right now, they get the ball back, and then the defense goes right back out there like yep. two plays later. So it's, it's always it's ter- And it's terrible because, you know, guys like, you know, Devin Bush were hurt in that league, in, in, mm-hmm. that, in that defense. You know, T.J. Watt suffered an injury. It was crazy, too. He suffered an injury and still became, and still won defensive player of the year. That's how you know how good he is. So yeah. I agree with you, Trey. Okay, so we've got – one Japanese superstar already in the MLB, and we got another one that's going to be coming to America, but not in the way we're used to. So Rintaro Sasaki, who is the highest prized Japanese player out of high school in Japan right now, is going to be skipping playing for the Japanese Pro League, the NPB, and coming over to America to go to college and play college ball. Now, there's a few reasons for this. People are kind of questioning, why would he do that? Well, it's because if he goes into the Japanese league, he either has to be posted by his team, which they can refuse, or has to wait nine years of play before he's eligible to go to the MLB as a free agent. It doesn't make sense for him to come over to America and immediately sign with an MLB team, because if he does that, his signing bonus is going to be very low. 
especially compared to if he's a first round pick like he's projected to. So he's going to be playing college ball right now. He hasn't signed with a team yet. He's not going to be coming over to play until spring of 25. So the teams have a couple years to try to recruit him. But he has been linked to Vanderbilt, which would make a lot of sense. They're a big baseball school. This guy is going to be a star in college ball because with a wood bat in high school, he hit 140 home runs in Japan, which is the Japanese high school record for home runs. He's a big six foot, 250 pound first baseman at only 17 years old. I think he's going to make a big impact over here in America. And then some team is going to be very lucky to draft him someday. So Rintaro Sasaki, I'm looking forward to seeing you in American ball in the MLB, in the NCAA and wherever else you play. Let's see if you're really the star everyone thinks you are. All right. So on to our final topic of the night, talking about talking about all the broadcasters in NFL and, and college. Um, interesting point is if you are a broadcaster, would you rather be a national broadcaster like Tony Romo and uh, Chris Collinsworth are, or would you rather be a team broadcaster where you travel the team all around? Trey, what do you think? I would definitely pick national. I don't want to stick with one team. Let's say, for example, you end up having to be a broadcaster of like the worst team in that league. Now I have to go watch this incompetent team play every night, night after night. Imagine if you're like the broadcaster of the worst team in the MLB, and now I have to spend 162 days with this team, whether I'm at home, whether I'm traveling across the country, and I'm stuck watching this sorry-ass team play. So the national broadcaster, at least if you're in a position of like, just say Chris Collinsworth or Tony Romo or something, you're going to probably at least get the prime game, the game everybody wants to watch. And I get to also see the whole league, which is kind of the fun part because now I'm not just stuck watching these same guys. I mean, yeah, it would be cool to like, oh, yeah, I'm going to cover, uh, let's say, Giannis every day. But it also be cool to be like, all right, one day I cover Giannis, the next day I'm covering Steph, the next day I get to see Jokic. Like that to me would by far be because I, I just don't want to be trapped with a team. So, yeah, make me out Michaels or something like that. What about you, Mike? Yeah, so I'm actually on the other side. Uh, I would rather be with one team because I, I do like the idea of kind of having that personal relationship with the team, seeing like being with the team as like your prospects grow or a star emerges and things like that. Um, I just I like that idea. Plus, you know, you could see you might be in, with the worst team in the league, but you could see the, you know, the emergence of. Uh, that team becoming one of the best teams in the league or be hands-on for some of their, their biggest moments, some of these players' biggest moments, because a lot of guys, especially so looking at, uh, obviously as a baseball guy, like my first sport I would want to call is baseball. A lot of these teams, like they're not, a lot of these players' achievements and team achievements are on the team or regional networks. They're not on national television. They might be covered by national television, but, there's a lot less chance in, in a sport like baseball where these big moments will be covered by a national broadcast just because there's only one game mm -hmm. really on a national broadcast or only a handful of games. So I kind of liked it. And maybe it's, maybe it's colored by the fact of, you know, growing up as a Yankees fan and how they've really always is in for as long as, you know, I've been alive, they've really always had their own radio network, their own TV network. And so, I like that idea. I do like that idea of kind of being immersed in that team and the culture and all that. You don't think you would feel miserable if you just were like – You get great parking. No, no, because – no, the, the, Like they just were like bad for years. Like 
say you were like uh, Oakland Saints, when the Saints like were just terrible for years and they had to yeah. top paper bag, or bag. like Cavs post LeBron, where you're in the lottery with the top pick four years in a row, and now you're three years in, you're like, I gotta try to get this energy up and act like this excited, knowing I'm about to call this game, they about to get their ass kicked. I gotta keep staying excited, knowing that yeah, you've been in a relationship with this person, but I'm all, this person's miserable. I'm miserable having to go on the road with this person. Now I got to go deal with this person who also hates his life too. I feel like we're all miserable together traveling and hating this stuff at that point. Well, well, Trey, with, with, company. well Trey, with one, one perk of the job is you never have to worry about traffic. You never have to right. worry about bad parking. You always get <laughs> when you're yeah. leaving. The... <laughs> well, yeah, if you're on the sorry team, yeah, because I'm sure Al Michaels, don't worry, Al Michaels ain't worried about parking no matter where. Oh, I know. He helicopters in, yeah, you know, <laughs> probably like oh, his right, parachute. <laughs> Don't yeah, like but that's that's what that's how I'm feeling. But uh, Jake, what do you think? Hey, you guys know me. I love to travel. Give me Kirk Herbstreit's job any day. He had a week this year yeah, where got, on, it's every week. It's I mean, every week. the guy's in Philly, then he goes to his son's game in Dayton, then he goes to Boulder, Colorado. The scenery there is incredible. And then that same day, he's on a flight to get to Gainesville so he can get there for the nighttime game. And then he's back home with his family, and then rinse and repeat. And maybe he's in the studio up in Connecticut again. I mean, give me that life. I know it sounds stressful. But I love to travel, love talking to people, love being in new places. I love being able to talk about, you know, just different teams and what's going on with them. I feel for me, that's how I work in terms of sports is I don't have that team here. That team for me is across the pond and they're playing the Merseyside Derby in two weeks, which we don't go into. And that's Liverpool Football Club, baby. So, you know, not really being attached to a team so much and growing up with a team. And it was never, I mean, okay, granted. I did have a love affair with Cubs baseball. Thanks to Humphrey Cabrera. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. Man, I could be that guy and have that life. You know, be somewhere where, like, people love baseball so much. It doesn't matter. The team wins two games or 100 games. They come in every game. And yeah. somehow you bring that excitement to the table. But I love moving around too much to feel like I have to be stuck with this team for, like Trey said, maybe five or six terrible home games. And then to make matters worse, who knows if I end up somewhere in the middle of Montana. And then I'm having to sit through a blizzard and watch my team lose by 34 and sound like I'm interested anymore. Forget that shit, bro. Give me the road life any day. I'm traveling. I'm a national broadcaster. Give me that life. Jay, you would have to have, they would have to tell you like, like the game was at seven. They tell you it's at like 530. <laughs> what? Hey, at 1130 a.m. start? Hey, I could, We're starting the game at 1130. All right, I'll be there. All right, I'll be there. All right, lock them in the door. With the I get there at one. It's crickets. It's like, why are you here for the 7 p.m. game? That would be my, my biggest, my biggest fear for you would be, like, you get into a – like, the one biggest thing about Jay is he has such a big heart, and he loves talking to people. And when he gets talking with people – Time just doesn't exist, and it's just he immerses himself in the conversation. So I feel like you would be in Boulder, Colorado, talking to prime time, and all of a sudden, like you miss your flight, and like you keep missing your flight just because you're talking to him so much. And then it's like, Jay, you need to be in. <laughs> you have to be uh, in Sunday. Florida in an hour <laughs> for for the game. Where's <laughs> like, Captain Kirk? Teleport me right now. Beam me um, up. No, but Kirk Herbstreit's schedule is crazy. He, he goes on the yeah. Pat McAfee show every single day, and he talks about how he like he has to get into a regimen, like eating wise and whatnot, and working out and, and just mentally preparing himself. So it's it's a really cool lifestyle. Well, kudos for having time to go watch his son in between all that, like making family yeah, have priorities. Yeah. That's big time too. So for me, like I've done it, I've done it like with the beat writing. I've done beat writing. I've done beat writing of a terrible team. 
and it's very, very difficult to pull a story out, and it's very difficult to sit there and watch every single game, 30 games a year. Uh, and then and then I've been on the opposite. I've been on a team where they've had really great success, where I've written really great stories, watched a buzzer beater, you know, uh, shout out to Mike with the great video. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, so I've been on that. I think I'm going to have to stick with uh, the team uh, because I just – I love the fact that I can sit there and stay with, you know, and grow with the team. I, I'm that type of, you know, homebody. I like to, you know, grow with the team. Even if they're bad, I kind of – I can figure out a story and make it, you know, even if it's, you know, just talking on the radio. I can talk about, like, certain things going on in the in the, in the the with the team and different things that are going on, you know, why they're struggling, those type of things. So, right. I like growing with the team. I've always dreamt of that, of, of being a, a, a beat. As they, as they call us, a beat writers or beat journalists uh, for a team and being on the team and, you know, calling, you know, Yankees game or an Eagles game, Michigan, whatever it might be. So I've always jumped to that. I tell you what, though, if you give me the opportunity to to be in semi-pro and I got to call the Will Ferrell basketball game from semi-pro, and I have to be with that team. But that movie has some of the best lines ever in the world. It's so just dry, and the humor is so great. But to have those scenarios come up, if you have that kind of humor and you can roll with it, uh, I could, I can see where that could be kind of fun. Even in Okay, so awesome b- broadcast crew would be Jamie with Bill Walton. Yes. Oh, my God. They would both start. They oh, were both – they, they, they would come into the football game probably in the middle of this first quarter. High as fuck. Just, where, where, where were you, Bill? We found the highest mountain in Boulder, Colorado. We thought we could come down in four hours. It took us nine, but the time was amazing together. We talked about 10th dimension, and now we're back in the fourth dimension with you guys. So spare with us here. We'll yeah, be right back in make this it happen. I want to see this broadcast between Jamie and Bill Walton. <laughs> Please. Ja- Jamie riding a horse in, Bill Walton riding a moose in. Like, that would be <laughs> incredible. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. That shit would be fucking Classic hilarious. moments in Pac-12 sports. In the conference. For, for the time of, being. Of the conference that doesn't exist. <laughs> Not anymore. Washington, Washington State and, um, and uh, Oregon State are going to get tired of playing each other. Yes, they play each other like 30 times. <laughs> yes. Did you hear, though, that UCLA and Arizona are going to keep their basketball rivalry going? Okay, so occasionally it's good to give flowers while people are doing their thing. And today I want to give some flowers to a certain person. That person is Rich Paul. I really like what he's doing. I was watching this uh, special on 60 Minutes, and it was basically covering him and just basically what he's doing out in the world. Now he basically came from the streets and came from nothing to become the man he is. See, a lot of people look at Rich just as, oh, that's one of LeBron's best friends and things like that. But Rich is more than that. He's more than what some people see as, oh, that's just Adele's boyfriend. He's more than that. This is a man that basically came from the mud. He's picked up, built up, and built one of the best empires of sports. Man sat down with people such as Warren Buffett, and instead of, as he said, just wanting to talk, he listened. And that's something I think a lot of us have to do. Sometimes it's good to just listen, take it in, learn from smart people, bounce ideas off, and see what happens. And that's why I respect that guy for doing it. Rich has uh, athletes such as Jalen Hurst, who he's negotiated for, Anthony Davis, LeBron. He's negotiated over $4 billion worth of uh, money from contracts. 
and that's all respect. But to watch a guy come from the neighborhood and be able to come up in that way, that's just dope. And I always respect that. Rich comes from Cleveland. I live in Cleveland myself. So to see a guy come from the neighborhood who actually is able to get out, uh, be able to employ other people in clutch sports, which is what he's doing and empowering folks, I, I, I just respect it. And I have to get that man his flowers. And I just think a lot of people should. You got people who come out and try to hate on him, saying he's messing up the game. I don't see how it is. I just think that's hate. And that's a damn shame. But somebody's doing good, respect that guy. Give him his flowers. Well, yeah. I know we got a rivalry here tonight with Stump the Squad. You guys know what time it is. Our favorite time of the show. It's Stump the Squad, where we get to question each other, pretend like we don't know everything. Actually, we do. We just want you guys to feel good about yourself. You got it right. You get plus two. You get it wrong. You get minus two. Person with the most points at the end of the show gets the dub of the week. Your boy's still sitting on top of the table right now, but man, was it bad for me last week. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open up the show this week so I don't get the first question wrong. So boys, <laughs> here we go. First. This one's going to be real easy. Hopefully. It's Hopefully. a gimme for you guys. I'm giving you points here. Who on this list has not won a Super Bowl? Okay. Sean McCoy, Wes Welker, Trent Green, or Don Beebe? Well, I know what Welker and McCoy did. Don Beebe. McCoy, Wes Welker, Trent Green, or Don Beebe? Don Beebe. Don Beebe. Yeah, it's Don Beebe. Okay. Gentlemen, I have successfully stumped the squad. Don Beebe, who used to play for the Buffalo Bills in their woeful days, made it onto Green Bay's team, and he won a Super Bowl with them. Trent Green got replaced by none other than Kurt Warner. I thought he was on the bench. The Super Bowl. Yeah, I thought he was the backup. I yeah, he won a Super Bowl. He won a ring. How's he not won a Super Bowl? That's when a Super Bowl. He won a ring. That's what I'm saying. He won a Super Bowl. LaShawn McCoy didn't play much, much much for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but he won a Super Bowl. Wes Welker has never won a Super Bowl. Oh, so Wes Welker. Okay. Oh, okay. You, said, you didn't okay, give the answer. Okay. You said he, Trent Green at first. I, I was like, what the No, Wes Welker is the answer. Wes Welker, in his years with the Patriots, really? did not win. Yeah, they didn't win any Wait of Wait a minute. That, well, well, that's right. That's the right. Year, they, they, Wes Welker has not won a Super Bowl. Remember, they went through like a dry pass. They went a 10 year without winning. Like a seven-year dry patch until fourteen, and he didn't win it with, and he didn't win it with the Broncos because he retired the year before they won it against yep. the Panthers. Wow, mm-hmm. yeah. I could have sworn yeah. he was on like the 0-4 team. Wow, that no, was he was there from seven to twelve. Wow, great, great one of those, yeah. yeah, that was good. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. bravo, thanks, guys. Trey. Okay, we're gonna take this to the baseball diamond today. You know, my oh, favorite boy, area. Mikey, Mikey. Yeah, yeah, okay, my favorite area, the baseball diamond. You know where I like to hang out at. Diamonds are forever. Okay, so uh, which player, like a diamond. <laughs> which player was directly involved in three of the four American League forfeits of the 1970s? Ooh. Say that again, but, please. Which which player was directly involved in three of the four American League forfeits of the 1970s? Okay. Forfeits? Yes. Okay. Frank Duffy, Ron Hansen, Greg Pryor, Rusty Torres. Rusty Torres. Craig Sounds Pryor. Like a, sounds like a guy that would forfeit. Who was B? Ron Hansen. Helly Hansen. Give me Ron Hansen, baby, because I okay. just love anybody's last name Hansen to cause some hell. <laughs> We're going Ron Hansen for Jay. We're going Pryor. Rusty Torres for John. And we're going Greg Pryor for Mike. Mm-hmm. Today, I have successfully stumped everybody except for John. 
<laughs> God damn it, Rusty. Really quick, though, because, and I, I was like, I wonder if Mike's gonna get to something. I'm gonna try to do something. I don't think Mike can know. Yeah, aim there. So, Rusty Torres, the reason there, he played in three of the four forfeits, he was on the Washington Senators team on the final game of the season. He played that game, ended up having a riot in the stadium because they were mad that they were leaving. Yeah. So, they ended up forfeiting. The second time, Tencent Beer Night in Cleveland, he was on the roster once again. Yep, he's on there. And the third time he was on the team was also another riot, which was Disco Demolition Night in Chicago. He was in Disco. He was, oh. he was in all these events that happened. So he did wow. three or four events. So all he did God damn it, Rusty. Yeah, so I always I counted you out, Rusty. I knew you were a yep. forfeiter. Rusty is always there when a riot happens. So good old Rusty. Uh, John, what you got for us today? Let's all right. Cool all right. All right. So score is Jamie minus two, me zero, Frey minus two. Mike minus four. All right. So the player holds th- this player holds this record. Oh, this crazy stat of five rushes, one yard, and three touchdowns. Who is it? Melvin Gordon, Deuce Staley, Jerome Bettis, or Larry Zonka? I know God, I want to say Zonka so bad. I know the answer, so I'm good. What was the answer again? Melvin Gordon, Deuce Staley, Jerome Bettis, Larry Zonka. At least I think I do. Yeah, I think I saw. I think I saw this. I'm gonna go with. Let's go, Deuce Staley. Yeah, Trey, Mike, Melvin, Deuce, Zonka, and who's the fourth one? Bettis. Jerome Bettis. Yeah. Give me Jerome Bettis. Jamie? Mike? Yeah, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure it's Bettis. Okay. Today I've successfully stumped our resident Steeler fan. It is oh, Jerome no, Bettis. Is <laughs> he did it in 2004 against the Oakland Raiders. So, so he had some negative yard plays, obviously, right? Yeah, yeah. negative yeah. plays. Yeah, I was pretty actually thinking Chris Matumala Fala, actually, because yeah. he had a couple games like that in the same era with Bettis, which is why I didn't think it was Bettis, because I thought Matumala Fala would have been a more likely yeah. person. <laughs> All right, Mike. We need to get it wrong in order for you to stay in mm-hmm. the, the zero, zero, minus four, minus two. I thought okay. the Deuce Staley would trick up someone. Thanks, Trey. Appreciate it. <laughs> Actually, so, no, I later, and he used to do. Yeah, that. yeah, he used to. I he used do like like goal line yards. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was him as a stiller. Actually, was my thought. So, what two NFL teams was Pete Carroll the head coach of before the Seahawks? Actually, not answer to this. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Is it A. 49ers and Patriots? B. Jets and Lions. C, 49ers and Lions. D, Jets and Patriots. What was A? Uh, A would have been 49ers and Patriots. Do you go through the list again? Yeah. A, 49ers and Patriots. B, Jets and Lions. C, Niners and Lions. D, Jets and Patriots. I didn't. I didn't know your he coached before the Seahawks, so I'm. I don't know it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I, I'm gonna wait because I 
think. Yeah, I, I don't know it off the top of my head. So I know one of them, but I don't know the other one. D, oh. Jets and Pats. Okay. Uh, uh, says D, Jets and Pats. I'm leaning that way, but that seems like – doesn't seem like he would have coached the Pats. Yeah, I'm going to stick with D, Jets and Pats. That was my that was my first answer. In my I'm head. pretty sure it was Justin Pats because I'm pretty sure he signed. And I know he's I know he coached the Pats 100. percent I I'm just not sure about the Jets, and I don't think it was the Niners. I'm pretty sure he signed and never made him the deal. Yeah, which technically made him a coach of the, the Jets. So all of us going with D. Mike, did you stump the squad? No, I didn't. Ooh. It is Jets and Pats, and I right? do believe he coached that year with the Jets, and then got he fired. Did okay, yep. he got fired. Yeah. Okay, six. I so believe he went six and ten, and then got fired. Okay. All right. So who has a, a tiebreaker question between me and Jay? Because two tiebreaker again with you, boy. You Man, I, I'm right there. It's like in fantasy football. I'm like right there, and I lose in the last quarter. One of my things I almost looked at was who had the worst contract in the NFL. That was the thought. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually a thought of mine. So I'm going to go with because he just came back. How much money is remaining on the contract of Jamal Adams? Total. How much money is remaining? So how much is he still owed? Yeah, how much is he still owed on his contract right now? For the Seahawks. Yeah. Oh, man, Jay, that's tough. $76 million. Okay, so we're going 76 for Jay. Okay. Yeah. All right, since I can't play, I'm just going to look at it. <laughs> I mean, I can play, but. You're supposed to play. You can still don't play. Look at, don't, don't look it yeah, up. Yeah, I usually still play when I'm. Don't look it up. I already did. <laughs> well, my answer is inconsequential. So you don't say it. I'm not going to. I'm going to say 52 million. And today's winner of Stump the Squad, fresh off the snide, is John. <laughs> the board is full. Baby. Yep. According to Bleacher Report, he is still owed. He has three years of $45 million left. Well done, John. Let's go. I'm a loser in fantasy football, but I'm a winner here. Let's go! <laughs> His original contract was 72, so Jay would have been right if he hadn't already had the one. I, I thought it I just, I just couldn't remember. Oh, the original extension, my bad, was 72, so. Yeah. yeah. Well, I couldn't yeah. remember if uh, when he signed the contract. That was what I was trying to figure out. Like, when did he sign this contract? So, when yeah, he's a year in. If he wasn't that year in, Jay would have been right because he was 72. Right. <laughs> well, I am the winner. First on the board, we got Trey with one, Jamie with five, and Mike two. with oh yeah, Trey, Trey with two. Trey with Trey two. With two. I have two. I was I'm pretty sure. Trey with two. Sorry, uh, Mike. Mike and I with one, and Jamie with five. So the sub squad has gotten real interesting today, boys. Way to go, John! You got a dub. Yep. Woo! Got dub. Dub for the win. So, fellas, great show. Got a lot of good football this weekend. Some great games. What are your final thoughts going into the weekend? Mike, what do you think about USC coming to town? Yeah, so uh, coming off of the heartbreak that is that loss to Louisville, I was very frustrated by that performance. Uh, but USC has so, shown some cracks in that armor, yeah. that invincible armor that we some thought they may have. So I'm cautious. I will say this. I'm cautiously optimistic for this game. 
for the the Battle of the Jeweled Shillelagh, as it is called, yeah. amongst the that, def- that UFC defense is trash. So, as, if it gets into a shootout, y'all might be in a trouble. But if you can, if you guys can hold them on offense, it might be a might be an upset win. John, you're 33 yeah. and a half point favorites against Indiana. Tell me why you're worried. No, no, I'm not worried. We're at home. <laughs> Are we? I think we're at home. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think we're at home, so I'm not worried. That's the thing, right? Like, I wasn't saying I was worried about losing. I was just wor- – I always take it in that, like, if you go into hype, like, if you go into relaxing and everything, that's when you get an upset. You're at Minnesota. Minnesota's been a top team in the, that side of the division mm-hmm. over the last three or four years. You know, I was just like, all right, I'm going to stay until they can start rolling in the offense. But th- them boys are rolling, so take it one game at a time, just like the Eagles. Trey. Okay? Uh, uh, it's the same thing every week. It's fire Matt Canada. I don't give a damn if it is about fire that motherfucker. <laughs> hey, so you're not happy that you beat the Ravens last week? Yeah, no thanks to Matt Canada. He's a secret agent. <laughs> That's thanks to TJ. Y'all Rock. saw his reaction after the pick and such. That's thanks to George. That's thanks to Pickens getting open in the end zone. How the hell was he that yeah, wide open? Yeah, he didn't what, even look happy when they scored. Yeah. What interests me so much is that uh, locker room or outside the locker room video of Chris Boswell. What was he doing? Uh, they're all walking in, and and I think it was it was Canada, and and might have been Tomlin. I don't think it was Tomlin though. I think it was one of the other assistants high fiving and hugging and stuff. And the camera happened to catch Boswell saying going into uh the locker room behind them saying no or something like no thanks to you or it wasn't thanks to you or something like that it's now not. there's no sign that he's talking to canada directly we know he's talking about canada. but we know we know he's talking about canada yeah, yeah, he just walked in, so. the dude the dude was sitting there like this when they scored the touchdown everyone's yeah. cheering he's like this like why yeah. are you sad you just won the fucking game come on dude like at least be a little happy. I, I know shit's been going wrong, but at least show a little the biggest bullshit. rivalry game too. And, and <laughs> right. So, right. Years, so. right. Well, fellas, we got a lot of great football on this weekend. I'm looking forward to it. The season's getting, I can't believe we're in week five or week right? six, whatever. Nuts. Um, season's rolling right around. Good luck to all your teams out there. Make sure you guys go to fans idea and shake it golf. Shake it golf is single squad, 15% off fans. Idea is 10% off. Uh, Cinco Squad. Make sure you go check it out. We'll be here next week, and uh, let's see if I can get some wins under my belt to catch Jay. We'll see you here next week, everyone. Have a great weekend. Bucks on Sunday prime time against the Lions, baby. Flex game. Baker Bayfield for the W.